Welcome to the Leadership Laboratory with Christopher Schnatz. This is a podcast where we talk to college coaches, administrators, and athletes, exploring personal stories of achievement and leadership development. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, on this episode of the Leadership Laboratory, we have Coach Jake Scott, who is now entering his fifth year as the head men's basketball coach for the State University of New York at Cobleskill. Coach Scott joined the NCAA Division III Fighting Tigers program just before the start of the 16-17 season, taking over a program that had accumulated just three wins the year before his arrival. He's managed to lead his team to -to back-to-back winning seasons, including a North Atlantic Conference postseason berth in 2019 for only the third playoff appearance in school history. Coach Scott, welcome to the Leadership Laboratory. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, this is uh, a long time coming to put this together. You know, our relationship kind of goes back a little bit. I don't remember exactly where it started, but I'm thinking 2014-ish. I remember you had reached out to Heather McCullough, who was an AD at your alma mater, SUNY Maritime at the time. And I think you were just saying hi, just because, you know, you had played there and you were doing your uh, AD and coaching thing out in uh, Indiana. And I remember she just forwarded me on and said, hey, if you ever want to reach out to this guy and say hello, do it. And I did. And we're still talking six years later and we've, it's been great. Yeah. I mean, I, I truly value those phone calls. I know we were two young coaches trying to figure it out, I think back then. And I think we talk at the beginning of every year and then definitely at the end of every year, try to bounce some things off of each other. And, you know, I want you to know, I value those conversations and I appreciate you being here on this to one one of the early episodes here. So I appreciate that. I, like I said, I'm happy to be here beginning something great. All right. So, so to get things started, you know, I'm a sucker for the story. So I want, you know, I want people to hear how, you know, this began for you. This is a, this is a tough business to break into. Uh, this is not an easy thing and people have to sacrifice a lot to get to where, where we are in our career. So can you tell me how you broke into the business, how you broke into this college coaching business and, and what do you love about this profession that keeps it going for you? I definitely don't have the, the, the normal path that um, everybody else has to this spot. Um, you know, I, I went to college to play college basketball, and I started, and then I didn't finish playing. And so, you know, I kind of felt like maybe that was the end of my basketball, um, definitely my basketball playing career, but, you know, coaching or whatever was out the window. And my goal at that point was just to stay working in sports. And, you know, after about, you know, some time of uh, just being a basic student, I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still try to become a coach, whether it be high school or college. And I said, I'm just going to do my own thing. And I started helping out at a local high school, playing a lot of basketball again. And, you know, I just said, going into my senior year of college, I said, what the heck, let's try and find a grad assistant spot because that's the thing you do. And I remember, I was actually just telling the story earlier today to somebody. I sent out about 55 letters, heard back from five schools, and I ended up at VCU as their graduate assistant. And it couldn't have been better because it's a top-notch men's basketball athletics program. I did that, and then I coached high school for three years, and I kind of felt like that was going to be my route, which is coaching high school. And through various circumstances and connections, I ended up being a Division three assistant, which just made me fall in love with coaching all over again. I was a little jaded from the college scene at that point, and I worked for uh, one of the best Division three coaches ever, Bob McVean at RIT. is one of the winningest Division three coaches ever. And um, it just started a snowball of – things just coming together. I had a lot of people supporting me and I did what, I, I did what everybody else did. I didn't give up. Uh, I worked the camps. I talked to people like you. Uh, I went after jobs that uh, to be up front were a challenge. I, I liked the idea of, you know, coaching the underdog and, and uplifting a team that might be struggling. Um, and sometimes it's the best job you can get to, to be honest. And so, um, 
I, again, I just didn't give up on it. I was, you know, I said, I wasn't going to let one situation define who I am. And I thought I had a good mindset for coaching where, um, and a unique perspective. And so here I am today, second head coaching stop. And, um, the rebuild process is something, uh, I actually enjoy, albeit pretty painful. Uh, and so you asked me something I enjoy, I would say, you know, two times now taking over struggling programs, um, while year, as you know, year one and two can be very, very challenging and not just on the court, but in every aspect of it. Um, seeing certain young men do something that they at one point didn't think was possible, uh, being competitive and learning and becoming part of a good team is very rewarding. If you can have the patience to stick it out. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are great that go along with that. But again, seeing young men accomplish something when they weren't in a good spot originally is pretty rewarding. So that's, uh, that is a unique story. And my story is similar to yours where we didn't come from a coaching tree and we had to, we had to figure it out along the way. So, you know, I commend you for that. And I think, uh, I think you really grinded it out and, and found a way to do what you love to do. And that's, I think that's the point. And that's, that's, that's probably why you're successful right now is because you figured out a way every day. We're trying to figure out a way to get to the next day, especially in the, the era that we're in right now. But I want to go back to what you said about taking over some struggling teams. Um, you know, you've had two stops now. Uh, it, it pains me to say this, but my alma mater, Maritime College, had just two wins the year before you got there. Uh, and I said in the opening at Cobleskill, just three wins the year before you got there. So, you know, what is the mindset as a young coach, first-time head coach, going into a program that just had two wins, and this is your first opportunity, uh, how much pressure are you putting on yourself to win now? I mean, what's what's the approach going in? So... I can tell you when I got to Maritime, when I got to Cobble Skill, the mindset was completely different. Um, when I got to Maritime, and I'm, I'm going to be very upfront, the the mindset was, A, putting a lot of pressure on myself was, all right, we'll set the tone this year, and year two or three, we're going to win the league. That's probably what's going to happen. And then you get there, and you realize, well, that's that's unrealistic, but you have to fail a little bit to realize what is realistic and what isn't. And so, you know, going into Maritime, it was I was very young. Uh, I feel I, I tell this people a lot. I was ready to be a head coach, but I wasn't ready to be a very good head coach at that point in time. Uh, and we had a really good athletic director who just kind of stuck with me and rolled with the punches when I was really young and, and immature, I would say at times. Um, but we did build the program um, and we got it a lot better. We brought in some really good kids that ended up leaving with incredible stats, as you know, from, from some of the time you spent over there. So I think going to Cobble skill, my mindset was very unrealistic. It wasn't about, you know, um, just changing an atmosphere and changing a culture and building kids up. It was about, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to win a couple of years because I'm going to work really hard. Well, newsflash, everybody works hard in, right. in college basketball. So, unfortunately, you know, um, that that's what happens a lot when you're young. You hear stories about coaches all the time. They say, oh, thinking back who I was my first three or four years, it makes me cringe. And I, I kind of had that a little bit. But I'm, I'm proud of what we accomplished there because we brought – by the end of it, I was proud of who I was and who the kids were. It just took me a couple of years to figure it out. So then leading into Cobble Skill, it was a much more patient and understanding Coach Scott, and it was probably a lot smoother. It was definitely a lot smoother process. And I say this all the time, that my first year at Cobble Skill was 4-21, and and I loved it. It was an awesome year. The kids were great. We didn't win a lot, but, man, they competed. So I think the experience and that mindset really – really changed that for me for the better. Well, I think I also have to point out that you took over that job, I want to say in November, right? The season had started or was just about to begin. Did they start practice without you? 
No, they didn't. So we had got there. I got there October 31st was my first day. So two weeks after the season uh, started, um, for various reasons that it happened that way, you know, state schools and paperwork. And that's, that's about all we all need to know. And so uh, we scrimmaged five days later versus Bard college five days later. Uh, and we didn't do too bad. Actually, you know, we, we put in like two offenses and one, two, three zone and said, you know what guys, we got five days. Let's just do it. And it wasn't that bad. And like, I keep saying that that first year, because of what I would call my mistakes at Maritime early on, I was able to not do that at Cobleskin. Like I said, that four and twenty-one year, I'm at eight years. Like it was right in my top two or three, a favorite year. It was fine. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, five days—that's you know not enough time to screw anything up as the new guy. So you know, I, I would say that that's a perfect recipe uh, going into the season. Worse than no practice, so, right? <laughs> Yeah, and and I just want to point out again, you know, our our paths crossing again in in that time frame. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but that summer, June of sixteen, I received a phone call from you saying, uh, "Hey, our AD just resigned, and this job is opening up." And and you you told me you said, "Hey, you should you should apply for this job." I don't know if you remember my answer. I don't remember your answer. No, I remember the call very well, but I don't remember your answer. Yeah, so my answer was, hey, I, I applied for that job five years ago. They never even called me to say they received my resume. <laughs> they didn't want me then. I don't think they want me now. Uh, but you you know, you know, reassured me that, that the, the the school had changed a little bit. Uh, you, you actually reinforced that my resume changed a little bit too. I mean, we've talked a bunch uh, leading up to that time. And, and you really kind of pushed me to apply for that job, and I did. Um and I really didn't want it at first. I'll be honest. I didn't think I wanted it. I, I really was happy where I was. Um, and then when I started to interview, I said, Ooh, this is a good position and I want it. I called yeah. you to tell you I accepted and you tell me what yeah. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving. And I'm I started leaving. December. I started December 1st. You left October 31st. Yeah. I remember that. Cause I, yeah. And I remember I was really excited when you got the job. Cause I was obviously involved in the interview process and we, you and I built a relationship at that point. I said, this is going to be great. And I, um, but you know, Cobal skill for me, there was just, you know, as you know, you, we make a lot of these decisions based on family and where we want to see our lives. And uh, I just felt from a basketball perspective, they had, had the opportunity up here and be closer to, to friend, to family. Uh, but yes, I do remember <laughs> like, it was just a great exchange. Like, I, I think we're going to continue to cross paths that way. So that's, that's great. That's yeah. great. Uh, so, so what, tell me what surprised you, you know, you, you dive right into that first year at Cobalt skill. You did a good job maritime. You increased the wins. You, you really brought in some great, great recruits and great individuals. I'll tell you that. So, you know, I got to spend a couple of years with, uh, the athletes that you brought in and, and just great individuals, but you get up to Cobalt skill and, uh, you know, you dive right in. So any surprises, what surprised you? What, what was different? What weren't you expecting up there? Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, what I walked into is exactly what I thought I would walk into. Uh, and I mean that because I had some people who were competing against them at the time that kind of laid the groundwork for me. But I knew that Maritime, as you know, is a very specific school, a specific type of student and very strict uh, academic regimen and lifestyle, as, as, as we know. And so um, getting up to Cobal scale, I thought to myself, well, I have a strong feeling these kids uh, – the basketball is not going to be the issue. They're going to love the basketball. It's going to be the other stuff. And to be completely honest, at Maritime, it was the academics and stuff was fine. It's getting them to love basketball as much as me was often a challenge. And like you said, the, the group we left behind, I felt like they were really committed, but it took some time. So the challenge getting up the Cobal skill was everything off the court. And I don't mean 
necessarily conduct issues. I just mean like, hey, being on time is really important. And yeah, going to a majority of your classes is really important. And you know what, if you do fail classes, you know, you can't play and, and things like that, that at a school like Maritime and, and Merchant Marine, um, we spend, I personally spent less time on that stuff. And so I knew that going in, um, you know, of course things arise that you've never experienced before. And I think to myself, going back to my maritime experience, I said to myself, when I got the cobalt skill, like you need to listen more, you need to hear more from them. Um, they can speak their mind and you, that you can hear where they're coming from. They may still be wrong and, and you're there to guide them, but you need to listen to them more. So I really went into cobalt skill saying it's going to be a different dynamic, a kid, um, and they're going to have different struggles in the maritime kids. So I need to listen a lot more. And I think that helped build relationships pretty quick. Yeah. And I think that's what I was going to say is finding a way to build different relationships than what you had, obviously yeah. coming from a regimented institution where some of your kids were regimented, some were not, but the culture was there yeah. to be on time and to be attentive and, yes. you know, to fall, you know, you had a regiment backing you up to, to kind of support you on all those other things. Uh, basketball was their outlet. Cobalt skill, basketball could be a driving force, right? So it is. So, yeah. So, so just building a relationship in a different way. And I think as an experienced head coach now with four years behind you as a head coach at Maritime, you know, you probably ready for some of those challenges uh, when you got there. Yeah. And and like I say to my guys, our guys all the time is uh, the most important skill you can have in life is experience. And the only, and that takes time, you know, it's not uh, a physical capability or anything thing like that. It's, it's time and sometimes failure, sometimes successes. And, um, my cobalt skill situation, I, it, it benefited, um, from my time at Maritime. I, I say, I, I wish I could coach Maritime now for four quick years, um, with what I know now. And, and probably, um, I'm still proud of what we accomplished. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it, we, 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 and like I said, some of the guys we left behind just are amazing young men and some incredible athletic records they set. But, uh, I'm sure you have that feeling, you know, if I could do a year or two at this place all over again, 10 years later, I, I would want to. And that's how I feel about Maritime. Oh, absolutely. I have that with Purdue University North Central, my first time head coach at 31 and thought I was ready to go. But like, like you said earlier, I, I don't know if I was very good at that time. And, and yeah. uh, you know, but you need that experience. You need that experience mm-hmm. to be able to be where you are now and to, uh, you know, to approach the day the way you do it now. So, so tell me this. So, so one or two things that maybe your program does now, whether it's your basketball program or your athletic program, that you guys do extremely well right now that, that five years ago, you know, it just wasn't there. I think it's um, the bond that we intentionally create off the court. I think one of the things I learned from Maritime, and again, going back, is that the regimental lifestyle time off the court is very limited at, at, at Maritime. And so I think one thing that we were able to develop specifically, and it ended with this year's graduating classes, this is no secret, but to, to have a great team and a true bond, you don't make that bond on the court, on the field. It's just everything you do has nothing to do with the sport. And so I think at Maritime, you know, at times I was maybe a little reserved for various reasons. I, I really opened myself up, you know, having a group chat, being vulnerable, telling terrible jokes that may, they laughed at me instead of with me, you know, stuff like that. So I think, we were and, and then spending the night out going to a Siena men's basketball game. I mean, stuff we already know you're supposed to do, but I had more of an opportunity to do it. But it still surprised me um, what it created. I mean, the bond that this year's past team ha- uh, created is something I, I could never dream about. You know, we, we told each other we loved, loved each other almost every day. And that's not something I ever thought I would be a part of because um, – 
for, you know, it's for various reasons and, and, and stuff like that. So um, knowing that that stuff is good and you have to do that stuff, but wow, the right group, it, it can, it can change a program. I really think that changed our program and um, it helped us a ton. Yeah. And it shows up in your record, right? It transitions right to the record. It transitions to the play on the court, probably the trust you have on the court with your yes. players, the trust in each other. Um, you know, and it, it's, it, you say it's the things you have to do and you know, you should do, but I bet there's a lot of coaches out there that don't know what goes into coaching off, you know, off the court, outside of practice, outside of games. If this was just practicing games, man, everybody can do it. This is way exactly. more than that. And, and that's when people, I still tell people, you know, what I do and, and they, that's a full-time job. It's, it's a very full-time job, right? It's a very, very full-time Absolutely. job. I, Absolutely. I explain the work hours and stuff like that. And, um, there's a need for what we do. There's a need for what you do, because I do believe that, you know, going back to what we just talked about with the camaraderie we've built, now that there's a lifelong friendship, now there's a lifelong relationship. And to be completely honest, you know, a lot of the kids that came to us at Cobalscale, academics was not a strong suit of theirs. You know, we have two kids in grad school and one kid in law school from last year's graduating class. I can't come up with stat, but I can't imagine that's ever happened before from a Ben's basketball program. And yeah. that's the stuff that really matters. Yeah. And you're cha- you know, you're changing lives. You're changing the way uh, individuals approach the day, you know, and that's kind of what your leadership style is. And, 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 you know, the thought and the intention that you have when you go, you know, and I get it from our conversations, you are intentional about what you are doing both on and off the court. So it's starting to show up and that's, you know, that just feels great when it starts to show up and transition into a few wins, because look at the end of the day, you're a coach. And you want to win some games, right? And that's kind of what I was trying to explain earlier is when I got to Maritime, so young, it's like winning is the only thing you think about. And then when you get some experience underneath your belt, when I get here, and I wish I knew this a long time ago, is winning is a byproduct of all those things we just expressed. And again, you know that you've been told that, but you still can't help but focus in on the W over and over again when you've done some of the stuff to get to that point, but not the everything. And because you're just so focused on one thing. So we don't focus on the winning, focus on competing and all that other stuff we talked about. Right. And that's where leadership development and experience comes into play. And you just can't teach that. You have to go through it. But to get through it, you have to be given an opportunity. And, that you know, you know, athletic directors, I'm sitting in a role as an athletic director. I'm always looking for a young coach uh, that wants to figure it out and wants to, you know, wants to get it done um, mm-hmm. and, and give somebody a chance. You know, that's always that's always something that's in the back of my mind when I'm trying to figure out, you know, who is the next person for that, for that position. So luckily you had your opportunity. I had my opportunity. We're able to, uh, you know, look at this thing 10, 20 years down the line here. We're, we're still in it. So that's good. Yeah. Very lucky. So, so you've had the opportunity. We talked about this to move around a little bit. You have experience at the division one level as a grad assistant, high school JV coach, high school varsity coach and AD division three assistant. Now a division three head coach with experience. Uh, let's talk about, preparing for an interview, right? Because this is a skill that young coaches or even athletes that are looking to, you know, transition into the coaching industry, it's a skill that they have to develop, not only developing a resume, but developing the ability to get to an interview process and and get through an interview. So, uh, you know, what what steps do you take when preparing for an interview? What's your approach? So I, you know, right now it's obviously going to be very different than it was, you know, nine years ago when I did my first interview at Maritime. But right now, you know, when I interview for a position, I, I, I do two things. I first, I get all the information I can find on the school. It's like making a scouting report in my eyes. You get all the information you can, right? Wikipedia, YouTube videos, the school website, student review, all that stuff. Then you take that stuff 
you narrow it down to what you think is most pertinent to the, the, the job you're applying for. For me, it's basketball, right? Knowing the majors and stuff like that. And then what I like to do is take, all right, so this is my, this is my narrowed down information. Now let me take my experiences and where can I talk about where the two intertwine? And so when I go through interviews, and the way I'm prepping and the way I prep is constantly using experiences that I've had in my head coaching career that I think will relate to either what they need or what I think can be successful at that school to show them, hey, I've been through this before. I can do this for you because this happened back then. And so that's my that's been my most recent um, plan, and, and it's been successful. Um, you know, but it can be different if you're a first time interviewer as well. Well, I love what you what you said there, putting together a scouting report because even if you're a first time interviewer, first time you know trying to get that real first job, I, you know I started out as a volunteer. I didn't need a resume and, and a real interview. Kind of showed up and talked my way onto the court. Uh, but yeah. when I, when you do sit down for that first interview and you're trying to prep for that, it really is a scouting report. Even when you're putting your resume together, you're trying to tailor your resume with your experience uh, to tailored to that job, right? Um, so yeah. I really love that approach, and I think I think young coaches and athletes can connect with that. So that's a that's a great idea to keep in mind. And then talking points, you have yeah. to find a way to get your talking points tied into whatever it is they're asking you during the interview process. Well, because the, the whole point too is, and, and I've probably and I know for a fact in interviews I've, I've messed up in this way and have success in the, in the other way is that you want to sell yourself but you don't want to just talk about yourself. And if that, I don't, I don't, I hope that makes sense. Is like, again, I'm talking about my experiences, but why does that work for this institution? Like I, my experience could be something I didn't do very good at and I've learned from it. And now when I get here, because you guys have this, I can do this for it. And, and you gotta be completely genuine in those situations too. Cause they're going to, they're going to have a BS meter and they're going to know if you're just blowing smoke. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, it's not a bragging session, right? You're trying to find a way to yeah. connect you to this job or these individuals that are interviewing you and, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can interview about a job that you don't even talk about the job. You're, you're just talking yeah. to each other, kind of like what we're doing right now. Um, yes, and, and those are the best interviews. Now, you leave there going, I don't know if that was good or bad, <laughs> but we just had, had an interview. Those, I had one of those two summers ago at a job I was offered, but it wasn't the right move for us. Um, but they were amazing people. And I showed up for a day and I spent three hours and I, I, I can think of maybe four questions they asked. And I met with a couple of different groups and it was just conversations. And um, I personally think that's a little bit better. To be, yeah. I, and I, I'm, I'm a coach, so I'm usually on the interviewee side rather than the other side. Um, but, you know, I felt like you can get more out of a person that way. But again, I don't have the experience like you do in that administrative role right. at this point. So. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So 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 we talked about this uh, before we started recording, but we talked about you know when you're younger, it's about finding things to put on your resume, and you're you're really trying to stretch that thing out a little bit and and and, and extend it. And then now at this point in your career, nine ten years into your career, you're really just talking about your experiences and you're putting that down on paper. And man, what a difference that is when you're going through the interview process. But so back it up to when you when you're first interviewing for for a job here. Um, you know, is there anything else that you're doing before you get to the table and, you know, or before you get to that phone interview or, or Skype interview? Well, I think for me, it's always been the, um, the, the prep in finding the right questions you think they're going to ask. And I don't know if this is from, from early, because what's going to happen is, you know, we have a decent idea going into interviews, which question they're going to ask. I, you have to find a way 
which prepares you for the interview. So what I'm getting at is I have somebody I work with, a coaching consultant that I kind of bounce ideas off of. But when jobs come up, I don't um, uh, I don't prep with him. And I did one time, I felt very scripted. And I remember saying to myself, well, when I first started, and this is going to get to your point, when I first started interviewing, I just kind of ran through the ideas in my head and kind of, you know, I have my own way of going about that process. So what I'm trying to say to a new person uh, going through it, like what do you need to do to feel confident when you get to that interview. For me, it's going for a walk or going for a jog and running through questions in my head, thinking about, you know, I could say it this way or I can say it this way. And so it isn't me calling you and say, hey, Chris, could you ask me these questions so I can script my answers? Now, that might work for some people, right? right? It right. might absolutely work. So whatever your system is to feel confident in yourself and confident in your experiences. Right. And I think, I think the biggest point you, what you said is preparation, finding a way to prep in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And and you, you have to, because it shows if you don't the same way you can watch a game and know that they didn't really take their scouting report versus report versus you very seriously. It shows very clearly. Absolutely. Now I'll tell you something I, I do do it when, when I'm interviewing or prepping for an interview is, you know, I'm calling everybody under the sun that may have just interviewed or is like me okay. as an administrator and interviewing people. And I'm saying, hey, what are the top five questions that are coming out right now? Because those change, right? Okay. Those things yeah. change. So I'm always constantly, so I'll, I'll grab a bunch of questions and I'll write them down and I'll say, well, these are similar. These are not. This could this could be you know an avenue they're going to go down. So I try to get the, the most recent questions because people are all doing that and, and the questions evolve. So that's one yeah. thing I do. And then, and then I'm really, uh, you know, bouncing other ideas off of individuals just to hear, you know, what they're going through, uh, and what they're doing on their campus and maybe help build some ideas for me going in. Not that I'm stealing ideas, but sometimes it right. sparks things that you've done in the past. Oh yeah, I did something like that. Or I did this two years ago. Mm-hmm. So really I just start talking to people more when I get closer to an interview as opposed to just doing it myself, because I feel like that gets me ready to just talk. And, and that's the biggest part of, of the interview process for me. I think one thing I, if I could tell somebody going through the process for the first time, and you don't want to hear this and I didn't want to hear this, but you have to be yourself. Like if, if you go in there trying to be, first off, if you try and be what they want, cause you've heard from somebody that this is what they're looking for. And you try to be that person, you're not going to sound good. You're not going to come off genuine. You're not going to be able right. to articulate what you might already know. Um, so, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've been in interviews over the past few years where I've gotten jobs. I've been in interviews where they said, no, you're not the person for us. And while nobody wants to hear no, um, you have to be true to yourself and, like, be genuine who you are. Like, be honest about your coaching style and stuff like that. Because when it's a match, it's a match. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the most important Yeah, and you know, it leaving, you know it leaving the uh, the interview a lot of times. You know that, oh, oof, you yes. know, this is a place I could see myself, right? And I, and, and even, even their tone, like I've been there, you know, where I've left interviews over the past couple of years and say, I feel very, very confident they're going to offer me the job. And I've, I've hung up on maybe a third round of an interview with the school. And I said, I'm not getting the call that one. I did, <laughs> yeah. I did my thing, but I can just, I'm not getting the call. I'm not what they're looking for. And I'll be up front. Usually I'm pretty accurate on that. And again, comes some experience. Yeah. You have to have some experience and you got to continue to go through it and just, uh, you know, when, it, when it doesn't work out for you, you got to fight for that next one, fight for that next job and look for that next opportunity. So all yeah. good stuff there. Very good insight. I, you know, I definitely appreciate that. And, you know, we're winding this thing down right now. A half hour flew by pretty quickly, but I, I like to end with, um, with this last question because it's something that I, I rely on. It's something that I do all the time. Uh, when I, when I start to struggle a little bit or I get hung up or have an issue, kind of have a go-to caller, right? Somebody, one or two people that I call 
who do you call for guidance when, when things, you know, when, when you just need to phone call after, after a bad loss or, or after a situation at work, who, who, who's that role model? Who's that person you're going to? I got two, um, two ish. So, you know, for me, um, whenever I got to bounce ideas off of somebody or need some guidance, it's, it's, it's coach Bob McVane at RIT. Uh, I talked to him today. I talked to him two days ago. You know, it's just a consistent, um, person I trust very much. So, um, you know, he's got 40 plus years of head coaching experience and he's really good at giving advice because he doesn't really give advice. He just talks. Uh, and he usually says things pretty, pretty enlightening. Um, and, and it's just, it's just a good voice to hear in, in times when I need that. And then I would say, I'm not going to say one person's name, but I, I think we all have our coaching inner circle. Uh, I think as we get older, our coaching inner circle gets smaller. Like, you know, when we're young assistants. We want to know everybody so we can be connected. But now as you get older, it's small. I got a couple guys. Uh, luckily, they actually, we compete against them, which I actually think is a good thing that, you know, if some things are going on at school um, that I think they might have been through. I'll just call them up and be up front with them. Like, hey, what do you do in this situation? So uh, I got two or three of my inner circle coaching friends that, uh, I trust and, and I trust him to a point where, you know, one of them, I, he's in our league and we compete against him two times a year. He knows all way too much about my team <laughs> from a competitor standpoint. Yeah, you bet but, that, that's great. You know, it, it still benefits me. So I think we, we all have that. And, and I'll, I'll be upfront. I have, you know, uh, I think it's good to maybe have somebody outside of the profession. Um, you know, I have, I have close family members who are very successful in business. I run ideas off of, um, they know sports, but not like we know sports. Right. So, so that's always good too. So I can't narrow it down. I, I you know, we all got our, our small group, our inner circle. Yeah. I guess it depends know. on the situation, right? Who, you know, who, sure. who, who you need to call at, at after that situation that comes up. And, uh, you know, I know I've used you in the past for, for, for some information to bounce things off of. I think you've called me a couple of times and, and, yeah, uh, I have. I you know, that's, have. it's really important to have that network of coaches and administrators and people in and out of the business to just make sure that you, you know, you're seeing things the right way. And, and it, it's really good when you have somebody that will, you know, tell you the truth and, and not just agree with you along the way. It's, a, I tell this to young assistant coach, it's, it's about making genuine relationships, not superficial relationships. I'm not the most connected man in the world when it comes to college basketball. I know, I know guys who know everybody and can get to anybody in two phone calls and that's not me. It's about making genuine relationships where you can trust what they're telling you is real and not just a superficial one that you're just for the Rolodex. And right. so that's really important to me. Coach, outstanding stuff. Outstanding stuff. That's our podcast. I, you know, I really appreciate your energy and enthusiasm and taking the time to talk with me. Uh, I really look forward to having you back on the Leadership okay. Laboratory. Thank you all thank for you listening. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on the Leadership Laboratory with Christopher Schnatz. We hope you enjoyed our conversation, and we look forward to exploring new topics in college athletics as we continue to interview some of the best in the business right here on the Leadership Laboratory.